This is Reimagine Law, a podcast about legal education and careers to help students navigate their career choices. Welcome to episode 10 of Reimagine Law, where Nigel and I are delighted uh, to be here on this episode looking at BAME talent and retention within the workplace. We're delighted to have with us today, Fran, um, Debo Nwazu and James Alau. James from Clifford Chance and Debo, who I've We've known each other for quite a while, Debo, um, who's worked for many years on, on talent development, especially BAME talent development, which we'll come on to discussing uh, in, in over, this, over this episode. And I think our aim here really, um, and Debo, this was, I remember a conversation you and I had, was to look back a bit and reflect a bit, you know, review what's happened, where things have moved from until today, but then also look forward and think about what work and what, work, what areas of work is, are there still to be done? So if we think about one of the, one of the themes that we'd, uh, with the, which we originally said, Deborah, I remember you and I discussed that we need to think perhaps about how do we define this term and, and also think about where do we focus within the overall area of, of BAME, which is, after all, very broad. Yeah, thanks, Nigel, for, 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 for that. Yes, BAME is very broad and um, it just it includes, it seems, everyone, really, um, unless you work physically, that's what BAME seems to be. And everyone thinks, oh yes, you must be a BAME uh, if you're not white. So uh, uh, the danger of the term BAME, and I can understand why we have BAME, I, I can totally get that. But the danger of that is to, to really not, to be so broad that so many sections are ignored. For example, the, the B section of BAME. It's very much topical right now because Black Lives Matter. Uh, the, the, the cultural differences are there. Even within the Black community, it's not homogenous. Everybody thinks, oh, Blacks think the same way or we do the same thing. Very different. The A part, the Asians, very different, very, very wide and very broad. And then the ME, the minority ethnic part, how broad can you get there? So really, uh, it just it seems to involve such a wide spectrum. So that is, that is the danger there, that it includes everyone so much that you do not end up focusing on where the, where the needs are very much uh, um, needed or the needs are needed. Does that make any sense? No, I think that's right. And, and Debo, I know for many, many years, you did a lot of work um, with people coming through from school through to college level and then going into the, um, going into the workplace as well. What were the challenges you found working over many years in that area? Actually, the, the biggest challenge is the lack of opportunities. I think that is it. So when you look at, for example, at one stage, we're working with uh, uh, those in like year 10, that is typically about 13, 14 year olds, uh, because my kids are now, you know, they're, they're well in their 20s. So I kind of need to remember how old year 10 and year 11, year 11. But really, they're so open. They're really open and engaged and really willing to, it's like an open, you know, they're like sponges. But without the opportunity, the exposure, they really don't really know. They don't know what grades they need to have to, to get into law. They kind of, you know, the, what we call competencies, what they need to be doing. And, you know, they, it's a lack of opportunity. It's not a lack of talent. There's talent everywhere. What was your experience? <laughs> That's very interesting. Actually, looking back, there was nothing in my days. I mean, I was, um, I trained as a barrister, this is the, you know, and then became a solicitor. This is all like late 80s, right? And um, I was, I, I, 
was very excited at the bar at the time. I mean, I went out to my bar finals, as it was then called. It was all going to be a fuse professional. Everybody was very excited. It didn't happen. I realized, actually, the bar wasn't for me. I really wanted to be a solicitor. But you, we don't have, I mean, you, you're really on your own almost, actually. You're really, you don't have, and that is the reason I started BLT. I wanted something I didn't have. The kind of network, the kind of connection, the kind of exposure, the kind of somebody explaining to you what you should be doing, what you ought to be doing. And, you know, just having other people, looking up to other people, mentoring and, and training, and because the talent is there. It's just an absence of the opportunity. And, and, and Debo, just, just to explain for the listeners, so, so BLD, that was, that was your organisation, wasn't it, that you set up? BLD was started in 2006. The initial... Uh, Aim was just the network of lawyers. But it became quite clear very quickly that network of lawyers wasn't enough. You have to go really right down from the school to the universities because we've got to really create a pipeline of talent. So, yeah. and then engage with the, with the qualified lawyers, of course, to mentor and help and assist the ones coming through. James, just to bring, just to bring you in here, having forged forged a pathway for yourself in in the legal sector, what's been your um, your your experience, um, James, and how how did you think about sort of developing your career? Thanks, Nigel. Yeah, so I think it's it's interesting to to hear what Deborah mentioned about sort of her experience and and comparing it to mine, you know, a bit further down down the path, because you know, in my experience has been that. Around me, there have been other people in the legal industry that are black or from you know, minority communities and more so than we've historically seen. And I think that definitely helps. I definitely see the benefits of you know, the work that people like Debo and others have been doing to kind of create those kind of communities and networks. And so I think, again, coming to that point about you know, it being lack of opportunity that often keeps people back instead of lack of talent. I think it's it's definitely a key point in that, you know, when people grow up around in certain environments where they don't see people like themselves doing well in certain roles or in, in different industries, then it has the impact of kind of limiting people's horizons. You know, it's not, it's not that easy to kind of put yourself in that person she's to say yeah I can be like them and I think that's a very powerful thing to be able to do so yeah in, in my experience you know whilst again the situation isn't that there are lots and lots of senior black lawyers that you know I look up to as mentors um, at least there are some and at least there is a network of people around my age group my intake that um, that I can speak to that I can relate to we can talk about issues that we face and and what's going on and there's much more of a community feel and I think that I think that really helps a lot. James, that's really interesting. And you've touched on something there that, Debo, I know we were going to think about as well, which was, we've, you know, I know a lot of your work, Debo, as you said, was thinking about the attraction, the early phases. But as, as you said, James, when you said about the senior role model point there, there's a, there's a thought there about retention and progression as, as well. And Debo, any, any thoughts on that thought of sort of progression and how, how much progress have we made there? Um, the big progress, I have to say, is in terms of the, um, the attraction and the recruitment at the junior level. Um, when I started with the BL back in 2006, it was very thin on the ground. But a lot of effort, I mean, can I just say my emphasis has been the top 100 law firms. I mean, that's been kind of the emphasis I've made uh, really in, in, in the last 
past decade or more. Or more. Um, however, in terms of developing the talent, I mean, and as James has alluded to, that yes, there are some senior lawyers around, around here. There's been, the progression has not been so great. There's been like a, a you know, there is a lot of junior lawyers. Um, some of them leave early for whatever reason. Some of them, they leave early, they leave the profession or private practice early because of issues maybe of feeling that they belong or feeling inclu in, in, um, included in everything else. So the issue right now is developing the talent, really developing them. Uh, making um, uh, um, black and other ethnic minorities, obviously, uh, feel included. Mm? The, the inclusive part, there is diversity, there's drive from diversity, but even within diversity, there's need for being inclusive, and that is incredibly key. So that is incredibly important that we have that. So that is, the, that is what is really missing. Um, that is what is really missing at the moment. People feeling engaged and included, and they really need to then focus on the stats. So we have BAME of um, 20% or BAME of 15%. However, break it down. So out of that BAME, how many was the percent of the blacks? Was the percent of the Asian? Was the the ME part of it? And then you drill in further. What about even uh, the social economic background of those people coming through? And maybe drilling even further. Those that are, are really, I mean, um, some of the law firms use particular organisation to attract talent, including BLD, for example. They look at what's the background of those people um, in terms of the people being referred by them. What is the socioeconomic background of all these people? Are they all pulling from the same boat? Because if there is talent everywhere, why is it from a narrow spectrum? Wonderful That's really interesting, Debo. Thank you. And James, just coming to yourself, I mean, obviously you're in a private practice firm. I think you've been on to Common at various places. So you've seen a few different work environments. Do you have any have any reflections on what Debo said and those environments you've seen? Yeah, I think I think Debo's hit the nail on the head there. I think the natural progress of focus it starts off at can we recruit people from diverse backgrounds into law firms? And, you know, that's rightly where the focus needs to start. But then as you start to get more mature in the, in the discussion and things progress, then you need to start focusing on retention. And, you know, when you look at the retention stats, they're not great. And going to the point we made earlier about, you know, is BAME too broad? You know, I'll give you an example. So um, one law firm, I think it's a Magic Circle law firm, did a report, and I think it's called the Stay Gap. And they're looking at, you know, when do people leave um, the legal profession? And, you know, the stats were there were that with Asian lawyers, they leave the profession on average seven months earlier than their white counterparts. Whereas with black lawyers, they leave the profession two and a half years sooner than their white colleagues. So there are real differences when you look and you start to break down BAME. And look, I understand talking about BAME at a high level, but if you want to use it to find solutions, if you want to use it to actually do something, then it's too blunt an object and you definitely have to drill down. And so, you know, when you're looking at recruitment and, you know, I speak to my friends that are in law firms or my friends that have left law firms to kind of, you know, understand what, what, are, the, what are the themes. And one of the biggest points that comes up is, about that feeling included and feeling comfortable you know people firms not just law firms other businesses as well make a whole song and dance about you know you should be able to bring your whole self to work 
but there are many people that don't feel comfortable being able to do that. And, you know, whilst it's a great job, it's high energy, you get lots of excitement and lots of learning, et cetera, it can also be quite a stressful role as well. And if you add on top of those difficulties, the fact that a lot of people don't feel comfortable being themselves at work, then it becomes a really challenging environment to continue um, to continue working in. And I think the last point there would be about, you know, that kind of cross-section between um, race and ethnicity playing a part, but also socioeconomic backgrounds and other things like gender. You know, it's those are things that kind of amplify that kind of exclusionary effect that people feel when they feel like they can't be themselves. You know, if you add in all of those other elements, it really affects, you know, the experiences people have had growing up, holidays they've been on, all of those kind of things that might make them feel they can't be themselves in the office. Yeah, just to, to, to come in on that idea of bringing your whole self to work and inclusion, you know, I distinctly remember at the bar, golf days for clerks, which, you know, were, were quite a sort of male-centric thing. And James, I know you and I in the past have discussed ski trips as well and how they tend to be a topic of conversation in law firms. Um, so I think it's really important for our listeners from whatever community or background or upbringing they come from to be really aware of the different conversations within the workplace and that idea of if you do bring your whole self to work, how do you do it in a way that doesn't exclude others and that includes everybody in the conversation, whether that's talking about holidays or families or, or the like? Yeah, and just on that quickly, Ryan, I think, you know, and when we had that chat, we were saying, look, it's important for people, all people to be able to bring themselves to work and feel comfortable in the workplace. It's going to make it a much more conducive environment for people to develop, people to learn, people to share ideas. And so, you know, it's important that people don't feel like they have to hide part of their personality because they think it's going to exclude others. But at the same time, it's just a consciousness that, you know, people have different backgrounds, different experiences. And so, you know, to the extent you can, you want to be inclusive. And it might be something as simple as, oh, instead of people often want to go out for um, drinks to celebrate, for example, you know, thinking, okay, what else can we do that might be more exclusive to those people around us that don't drink? Just simple things like that, just having that thought in your mind. And it might not end up being massive behavioral changes, but it's just the mindset of inclusivity that I think breeds a much more conducive work environment. I think that's really interesting, James and Deborah. And, um, you know, we've talked about so much here. We've talked, as you say, about all those different, all those different layers to what inclusion means. I said at the beginning, you know, we'd, we'd look back a bit look at the current situation, your experiences, but also then spend a few minutes just looking forwards now to, towards the end. And Debo, just to start with yourself, what, what, what more, I suppose, if we were to put ourselves in the shoes of a managing partner or a general counsel or whatever type of organisation it is, a senior person there, where, where could their focus be usefully, do you think, on, on some of these issues? I think first thing first, that they must first recognise there, ta- there is talent everywhere. That is absolutely key. And then when you when you attract and recruit uh, lawyers, going forward, you need to really be keen on developing the talent in order to retain them. This includes working very closely, and some law firms are already doing this, working very closely on work allocation, because sometimes um, there, is, um, there is lack of recognition that uh, because of uh, uh, maybe a partner has the same kind of background, 
uh, particular trainee or associate. So there is a special kind of rapport they have instantly. And automatically that, that partner is allocated more work, sometimes more very interesting work to a particular uh, associate and excluding another one who, who is just waiting as well, but does not know how to approach this. So really being very clear that work allocation is independently assessed, that things are being done very fairly. Some law firms are already doing that, actually. They're already, you know, looking at that to ensure that they're not losing the talent because the way, um, and James has already mentioned, uh, that, uh, that uh, Blacks leave two and a half years earlier than their white counterparts. That is huge. That's huge because the law firms have invested a lot of money. So you really want to have return on your investment. So one of the ways to look very closely at this. And uh, so, so when you, when you, Develop talent. You work on your work allocation. You make sure that it's an there's an inclusive culture. Everybody is entitled to bring themselves. But when you're having a conversation, for example, uh, uh, let's say a partner's having a company, two trainees, and they, one trainee they both talk about their their skiing trip to Switzerland, and it's all very very exciting, very keen. And there's a, this other trainee who's never, you know, obviously been skiing, never done anything like that. Those really. Not because it's their fault they're talking about skiing, but just not, they really don't understand that that person feels less involved in whatever they're doing. So they feel that they're not part of the firm. So it's really working on things like that, being really, really keen and, and, and in tune with what is needed. So retention is key, but to retain, you've got to recognize talent, you've got to de develop the talent, and you've got to engage and infuse the time that you have. Yeah, I think I think no, you've you've covered so many points there, Deb, but I think that's dead right. It's interesting about work allocation actually, because that was in the press again this week. I think I saw another firm was taking this approach as they said they were taking work allocation to uh, away from the, some of the partners in some I think litigation practice groups and actually giving it to you know to some specific people who are thinking about you know how can we make sure that it's it's distributed. And James, just from from your point of view, I suppose so. Debo's, you know, we we thought there about as I said, if you were GC or managing partner or whatever. If you were sometimes asked the question, we sometimes ask the question of if you were giving advice to your younger self, is, is there anything there you would um, you would think about look, looking back? Um, it's an interesting one. I think it, it's always an interesting question because you learn a lot from your journey. And, you know, there are things that you pick up along the way that might not have been the best experience, but you take a lot from it. So going back, you know, you'd probably say, yeah, still go through that experience because it's, you're going to learn things from the other side. I think um, if I were to give advice to my younger self going through the process, one thing I found, you know, quite helpful that I probably could have done more of at an earlier stage was just listening to people that had already gone through the process that were, you know, a few years older than me. I think their insights are really valuable. And people don't always share those things with you. Even if you're friends with them or whatever, people don't always share those insights with you unless you actually ask, unless you actually go and have that conversation. Because it, some of these conversations can be quite difficult. You know, they might not be at front of mind, but, you know, the only way to really understand what you're going into is to sit down and speak to people who have already had those experiences. Because you you can do kind of the outside in, oh, this is the firm, this is what goes on, this is what the work is like, but you have no idea until you actually get into it. And the best thing that you can do and the closest thing you can get to it is uh, is discuss with people 
that have already been through there. So I think that that would be kind of the key advice. Speak to more people that are going through the yeah. process. Yeah. Build, your, build those network, those mentoring type conversations, as, as, as you say. Um, yeah. and James, at a more sector level, you know, Debo's touched on a few points there. Um, you know, anything that, that the sector should be doing more of, do you think, as well? So I think one thing that's relatively sector specific with law is that as soon as you become an associate, you become a manager. And I think that's quite interesting because you don't, you don't realize that it's necessarily going to happen. But as soon as you become associate, you're managing trainees, you're managing junior people. You become a bit more senior as an associate, you're managing other associates plus the trainees. And by the time you're a senior associate, you're really managing, you can, be, you can end up managing quite big teams. And I don't know if law firms do enough to train people for that. I think when you're thinking about things like unconscious bias and, and those kind of elements that can come into play, then given the position that you're in, that you are a manager without necessarily having management training, I think that might be, uh, be a factor that exacerbates issues. So I think as a sector-specific kind of uh, action point that firms should bring in training for associates at all levels, unconscious bias training, management training, dealing with people from backgrounds that are dissimilar to yours that you may not have you know, come across in, in large quantities before. And I think that would help people kind of understand some of these issues, which can be more subtle and kind of under the skin than obvious, than obvious issues. James, that's great. I love that. That's, so, you know... It's, it's funny because lots of research that's been done on teams, as you know, will, will have, will have, has found things such as, you know, the power of difference. You know, you get so much more from, from making sure, as you say, you are inclusive. You have got those different points of view in, in teams as well. So um, uh, I'm conscious of time. Um, I found that we probably need to move on to actions, I, I would think, at this point. Um, so as our listeners know, we like to leave them with a couple of actions to do from each episode. And there's two really that strike me from hearing um, James and Devo's um, brilliant contributions. Um, one is to speak to people from the inside out, if I can borrow James's phrase there, and really to understand and to learn what the culture in different places and organisations actually is. And while doing that, think about how you can have conversations in the workplace or in that particular workplace that do include everybody. Um, and the second action, um, again, building on, on James's last point, is about unconscious bias and making yourself aware of unconscious bias, what it is, and the fact that everybody has some. And we'll put a few resources into the show notes. And um, there's a book that springs to mind as well, um, just so that our listeners can really read up on that. Because I think if you can bring an awareness to your own unconscious biases, that can, can really help um, to progress and to take things forward. So I think that probably wraps up this episode. Um, thank you ever so much uh, to Debo and to James. Um, and thank you to Nigel. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.